Hi, and welcome to the Just Riding Along show. Hello and welcome to episode 99. Tonight's show is brought to you by Bikes and Barbacoa. That's right, because Kenny's eating a burrito, and we're here to talk about bikes, and we're not here to fuck spiders. So, I still haven't had, I have that phrase queued up in my head anytime I'm out hunting and I think there might be the chance of seeing another human being because they will inadvertently ask me, you out here to hunt? And I will be in head to toe camouflage carrying a weapon. <laughs> nope. And I'm I'm just waiting to say that ever since I learned that phrase, I have not had the opportunity to say it to anyone even though prior to learning that phrase, I probably could have said it 10 times in one year. So, Just you wait. Yeah, it's it's coming. Do we want to do patrons? I mean, I don't, I don't yeah. think we should do that. We should announce them. We shouldn't do them. Whatever. All right, so $10 a month. We've got Zach, Tom, Todd, Ty, Tennessee Zach, SCG Shoe Company, Sam, Ryan, Parker, Nugget Money, Noah, Nick, my pal Dow, MTV Shenanigans, Leland, Kenny Sucks, Ken, Josh, Josh, Jeff, JC, Jara Dix, Jake, Half Face Kenneth, Green Giant, Gordon, G Man, Frank, Floppy O Rings, F That Guy Mark, Ezra Trilogy, Evan, Dildo Baggins, Captain Fickle, Cam Irish One, all right, uh, Billy Single Speed, Bill Bo, Barrel Adjuster, No Rollin' Majig, <laughs> Baggins, oh, Combo Breaker. <laughs> Alec AJ Aaron at eleven sixty nine a month. We've got Esker Cycles. And then some Australian fuckery. We've got ten or two ten dollar Australians now or fourteen kangaroo monies. Uh lead out sports and Josh. Dean is now sixteen fifty Rubucks a month. Got is it twenty along with Poop Wrench, Joe, Brady, Anthony, Affordable Trail Solutions. We've got Harley at thirty, Troy at thirty one, Brad at thirty two, and six pack outdoors at fifty. What do we want to talk about first? Crickets. Uh, I assume Kenny's still chewing, so... Yeah, you talk. I'm going to look and see if there's any new shit that I want to bitch about. All right. Uh, let's see. We're recording on a Thursday, which is unusual because... We were oh. invited to a Wednesday night pizza party. And then it got rescheduled to Tuesday. Yeah. And then since we had already told Kenny, let's record on Wednesday, or Thursday instead of Wednesday, we just didn't bother him about it because we figured he had already shuffled his very busy schedule and rearranged his pedicure and helmet polishing. And I don't know, since he's eating a burrito, I figured I could fully make fun of him without risk of him telling me to shut the fuck up. He usually doesn't tell... Yeah, I don't know, I, Kenny, I do you ever tell to, anyone? I didn't have to cancel my plans for... Wednesday club. So that's good. Thank you guys. <laughs> cool. So Saturday I did some chores in the morning and then I did a short ride on my Argon 18. I almost forgot what my gravel bike was for a minute. I was just staring at a picture of, my, of it in my head and there was like a potato rotating in the microwave. Uh, Sunday we did a little bit longer ride. Oh, the Argon's still good. I don't know how else to put it. It rides more like a road bike. But I, how about those tires you put on it though? They ride like road tires. <laughs> I'm just, gonna be, just a little refresher for our audience. I put Gravel King slicks in 38, and they measure 40, and I thought they were going to be rad. And they are rad, unless it's one degree off camber and has any bit of slip, slip, and then it's not good. I'm going to keep playing with tire pressures before I take those off. Uh, Saturday or Sunday, I did a little bit longer ride with Andrea. It wasn't as long as I thought it was going to be in miles, but it was harder than I thought it was going to be. 
so it still worked out well. <laughs> uh, turns out when you do a six mile climb that climbs 2000 feet in like two to four inches of sand, it's really hard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's then the I the most literal road name ever. Sand Gulch is what it's called. And it is a gulch full of sand. Uh, and then I ate a lot of pizza, and that was awesome. <laughs> uh, Wednesday, or Tuesday, we went to a pizza party, which was really fun. And you're like, pizza party? Are you in the fourth grade going to Chuck E. Cheese? No. Local guy in Howard has a... Bread baking business. A bread baking business, yeah. And he has a big outdoor oven. And twice now we've gone there. And he cooks pizzas in the oven, and it's he makes all the dough, and everybody brings some topping, and he makes homemade marinara, and everybody brings some toppings, and then it's a, it's like a buffet where he rolls out a dough, you make your own pizza, and twice now I've been the pizza cook, so I put the pizza in the oven and try not to burn it. I only burned two out of like twenty something, so I think I did all right. And when I say burned, I'm literally cooking it in a probably I don't know. 700 degree yeah, oven. Yeah, it's, it's a really fucking... They cook in a minute. Uh, it's probably actually like a minute and a half or two, but it's really fast. Dick around and like go get a new beer or, you know, take a drink of your beer and start chatting with someone and then you didn't rotate the pizza and it's burnt on that side. But that was a hoot. And then I was supposed to work on Wednesday and then I didn't. Uh, so I did a single speed ride for the first time in a long time and uh, I fell down. Got that Recon 2.8 that uh, Sir Dicketh himself gifted me, and I pointed it. Sometimes when I go for a ride, I do this really dumb thing where I'm riding a trail that's not very hard, and I'm like, I'm going to take this weird line, and I decided to ride this awkward downhill switchback, and I took a weird line, and I didn't drop my seat post because I try to practice weird stuff occasionally. Like the other day, I did a full descent with the wrong foot forward. That came from Slack, where people were like, I can never ride the other foot forward. I wanted to try it. And it took a lot of mental thought to, to ride right foot forward for me. Uh, but this day, I was like, I'm going to not drop my post so for everything. So you ride left foot forward? Yep. Wow, that's fucking weird. <laughs> and I'm assuming you ride right foot forward, I which I would call weird. I do. Yeah, I ride right foot forward, too. Okay, well, we should fine. We should have a poll. That'd be a good one to see. Well, Who rides we'll right foot forward for... versus left foot? That would be interesting to see. Yeah, well, that'll be the post for this episode will be something about what foot forward. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty easy. I can tell you it's 99% of people ride right foot forward. Okay. <laughs> I'm just trying to, oh, I'm just trying to make you as... feel weird, Matt. Kenny, I'm already weird. <laughs> and Do you as... think you're going to make me feel weird? I feel weird about me. <laughs> so I, I want to know also out of the people that ride left foot forward... And right foot, anyone, if you have skateboarded before, if you go left foot forward or right foot forward. Isn't which, it a regular goofy is the... I don't know what's what, but which which foot do you put forward when you skate? I think I put right foot forward. I don't know. It's been a really long time since I've been on a skateboard. It, I was like, fuck, like 20 years old or something or 21. Well, if I was you... In my early, it, was, it was a full 20 years ago last time I stepped on a skateboard. If you ride left foot forward, just tell us all your other like mental and medical ailments. Yeah. And we can yeah. analyze them. Do you have ADHD or autism or anything? Yeah, like, there you, you go. <laughs> You're always free to talk about mental health on a JRA show. So anyways, I dove into this downhill switchback <laughs> and I had my post up. <laughs> and I said to myself, this big front tire will grip. 
And let me tell you what, a 2.8 recon is not a motherfucking acid guy. And I flopped on the ground. Fell over at about 1.27 miles per hour. I got my... You got like a little third butt cheek. I got both hands, but I landed in rocks. And <sighs> it's a it's like a climbing trail. And I told myself I was going to put... My, it was really hot. I'm like, I'm going to put my gloves on before I start descending. So I didn't have gloves on. So I just straight to the earth with the palms of my hands. Mm-hmm. And then I literally said to myself, I was like, this front tire is going to do things. Or this front tire will work. And then I said, fuck, no, it didn't. And I fell down and I hit my hands and then I hit my elbow and my ass cheek and my knee and my leg just above my ankle. I just flopped on the ground. (laughs) I don't know how else to put it. And I got up and I was like, well, that sucks. And I put my gloves on (laughs) (laughs) and I kept riding. So for for what it's worth, I broke my collarbone on a 2.6 fast track front. Have you ridden that tire since then? I have not. But I also, in its defense, I think I did ride it a couple more times, but I didn't have that bike a whole lot longer after that. It was pretty much straight into the Levo. Gotcha. Yep. Um, I was planning to do a longer ride than what I did, and I got to where I would go longer. And no joke, I went maybe 100 yards up the climb. I was like, my ass hurts. I'm going home. (laughs) So I went home. That was yesterday. And then I did some more chores. We worked on the Argyle of Doom. Oh, God. A 2011 Argyle that... Not only hasn't been serviced enough, but last time it was serviced was apparently serviced poorly because so, the uh, the upper seal for the damper that holds the oil inside of the uppers up in the damper and rebound area that was crunched down into the uh, into the stanchion. I forgot. Yeah, Is an argyle a fork? Yeah, an argyle's a fork. <laughs> it was a dirt jump fork a long time ago. Hmm. Why? Yeah, why do you have that in your dirt. possession? Because I have a dirt jump bike. Oh. Matt has one of everything. I don't have everything. Don't have a full enduro bike. Don't have a downhill bike. Don't have a road bike. I mean, you could use your stump jumper for an enduro, no problem. I already did that. Exactly. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. But it's not a full-blown enduro bike. Yeah, it's close enough. Yeah, so I ordered a seal kit. Shout out to Worldwide Cyclery, because they had it where I could order it, and it would just show up at my house a few days later. Yeah, I work in the bike industry, and I buy shit from Worldwide Cyclery, because if it's really cheap, it's, I, yeah, it was it like just, thirty dollars. It's a thirty-five dollar part, and to just order it and have it show up at my door. I'm not rich, but going through the whole hassle of like special ordering something when you don't work on location where the parts arrive, and then getting it shipped to you, and all that shit takes a week because there's so many people involved versus just paying someone to deliver it to your front door at retail. It saves like six dollars at the end of the day, and you work for like six more hours on it. So I work in a bike shop, and I am the ordering person. And I don't EP stuff that often because it's kind of a pain in the ass. And there's some training module you got to do or this or that. I just order it and then just pay, you know, shop cost plus kind of stuff. Like that's just, it's just easier, even though it costs me more money. It's, I'm not going to dick it. It's only worth it when you're buying something really big. Yeah, exactly. And then you got to pay like shipping if you buy something EP typically. And yeah, it's just not worth it. Like I'm not going to EP specialized tires like two of them. That's just not worth my time. You're just going to take them off the wall and you, whatever your employee discount is, it. that's what you... Exactly. Yeah. I mean, to give you an yeah, idea, so. that's pretty crazy. How much do you think that I have spent at our shop? I don't even ride bikes anymore. How much do you think <laughs> I have spent in the past $12, seven years at Hangar 15? Oh, $23,000. That's a really good guess is $25,000. Yeah. $25,000. And I've never bought a bike in that way. Isn't that crazy? 
That's just like that is pretty fucking that's just crazy. Like tires and D's nuts. It's crazy. <laughs> that's some good shammy cream. I like it's it. great. Yeah. So did you know that D's nuts ground? is from Draper, Utah? I did not. There you go. The more you know. Is there a local following for it because it's local, or do people just not give a shit? It seems to be the same amount of popular here as it is everywhere else. I ran it in Memphis because it was like the best. It's just. It's like chamois butter, but just not bad. <laughs> I got some of the coconut cream or coconut oil chamois butter, and it seems to be nicer. Okay, I don't know what's I don't know what tea tree oil is, but apparently it fixes your body. It's insane. It does. It's wonderful stuff. I think it can help. I mean, I'm not saying you should put tea tree oil on like a staph infection or something nope. that you need antibiotics for. Compound fracture. Soak it in tea tree oil. You heard it here <laughs> first, folks. That's a show. Till but if next you time. have, if you've got like a little bit of irritation in your crotch area, and you put a tea tree oil chamois cream on, it's it's gonna help more than if you use something without tea tree oil. I'll just I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I've always been right. nervous because it's kind of it's some tingly stuff, and maybe that's not the tea tree oil. That's probably the no, uh, it's like a little menthol, menthol or, something. or whatever. Yeah, I've been scared about the old pee hole with that. You know, just in case. <laughs> You don't need chamois cream in your pee hole. Well, I know, but I'm just worried, you know, some (laughs) some, secondhand secondhand D's nuts finds its place. Some contact application. Yeah. They've got it for, they've got a women's formula that does not have the the cooling effect. And I think it's otherwise the same. Because when you put, well, if you've got an any, you're more likely to get some some, uh, sweat seepage and just parts where you don't want that uh, burning sensation. Yeah, I can imagine that'd be exhilarating or bad, one of the two. <laughs> I think the professional term for that is suboptimal. <laughs> suboptimal. Awesome. So I derailed that pretty hard with the D's Nuts thing. Matt was talking about, uh, we, we, this was Fork a double, double derail, talking about employee purchasing <laughs> for, and uh, an Argyle fork, perhaps? Yeah. So at least I remember, so that I remember things. That's that- why we keep you around, Kenny. <laughs> That and your sense of humor that makes everyone laugh out loud at least once every episode. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> so I may have been sleeping during other Dirt Jump conversations. What Dirt Jumper do you have? I have a Rocky Mountain. I don't even know what it's called. They they haven't sold it in a very long time. It's just a steel BMX bike with 26-inch wheels, essentially. I mean, it has a disc brake on it, but... Yeah, it's got, you know, bolt-on rear wheel, 20 by 110 front axle. It runs a BMX crank. Like, it doesn't have a threaded bottom bracket. It has a BMX bottom bracket standard, oh. so you have to run a BMX crank. Have you That's gone... That's pretty standard for a lot of dirt jumpers. Have you gone upside down on that no. yet? I'm not going upside <laughs> down on anything. I haven't really ridden it much because the... Not on purpose anyway. The fork didn't have any uh any juice in it, so the rebound damper didn't work. So that coil was just fucking... It, it was, was like a pogo stick. It was hard to pull up to manual it because the fork just felt so weird. Would you uh, go? But we're gonna get that all fixed. Would you go upside down in foam or water? No, no. I tried learning backflips into a foam pit at one point, and one that shit still hurts a lot. And two, foam pits are so hard to deal with. Yeah, like hard to get out of and hard to get your bike out of. And- yeah, and they're just—I don't know. I gave it three or four valiant efforts valiant efforts and it just i landed on my head and it hurt yeah that doesn't sound like a good time and i was like well what's the point i'm not gonna ever do this not into foam so i don't really want to learn it into foam 
But we are getting a pump track here in town. So the asphalt pump track is shaped and it's just waiting to be asphalted. And I want that bike up and running so I can go to town and do some pump track sessions. And now that I'm finally done talking about that 12 minutes later, what have y'all been doing? (laughs) Kenny, you should go. Sure. I've been doing nothing that the listeners would want to hear about, I don't think. I think I did maybe... We probably did another weekend moto ride. That's about it. That's cool. Yep. Yeah. That's it. What else did I do? Put some new tires on the Ridgeline. I, oh, shit. I guess I can talk time. about that. That was kind of a fun adventure. I don't think I talked about it on the last show. If I did, I apologize. Got a flat tire on the Ridgeline. It has very much street tires on it. And we were out in the mountains, just a gravel road, nothing like crazy. But I had to take kind of a weird line because the road was a little bit washed out. And I sliced a tire on a giant rock which was a bummer. And luckily it was right by where we parked. So pulled in and my passenger got out and it was like, Hey man, we got a problem. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And I walk over to his side of the car and it's like, (laughs) which is bad, but not the noise you want to hear. Yeah. So luckily I'm not dumb and I carry a lot of stuff in my car. So I've got a compressor and plug kits and all that jazz. And he had never seen a tire get plugged in real life. And his mind was slightly blown, I think. Uh, it works okay on car tires. Yeah, it works great. I plugged Andrea's Honda Element tire once. Yeah, we were like in a truck stop parking lot. So, we were getting gas, and I was like on the way home from Breckenridge yeah. to Memphis. Uh-huh. And I was like, there's a screw in your tire. And she's like, fuck. And then she's like, ah. And I was like, well, just get gas. And like, I go inside, and I it's like a truck stop, so they had a plug kit. Mm-hmm. And I bought a plug kit, and she's like, what are you going to do? And I was like, I'm going to plug your tire. She's like, what? <laughs> and it was on the front, luckily. So just, you know, turn it to full lock yeah. and then turn, like drive. And I plugged it on the car and then aired it up with a bike pump. And uh, I think uh, think Andrew's mind was blown that day. They worked Yeah, great. I mean, it was cool. So yeah. advice to everybody is buy an actual car plug kit that has all the things you need. The reamer and plug putter inner thing and plugs, obviously razor blade all the things they they come in a kit they're like 20 bucks go on amazon go buy one and i also just recommend that you buy a real compressor don't buy some plastic one that just rattles around and makes a bunch of noise and burns up if you use it for more than five minutes you want to go buy a vi air v-i-a-i-r vi air they make proper onboard automotive grade compressors for people that do like hydraulics and all kinds of weird stuff but they also have just regular pumps but it's like a real little baby compressor that has like heat sinks and a proper piston and not like a lot of plastic garbage and they work awesome they're like 50 bucks maybe and you just put that in your car and it'll fill up your tire a reliably and b really fast and it's half the noise of a shit compressor and it works 10 times as fast and no adult should be driving around without that in their car. They're just amazing. And then you can I just which one I have. You can just plug the... you can just plug your tire. It works awesome. It's super easy to do and it works pretty good. My case, unfortunately, it was a pretty big slice and it took three plugs all nested together, which was pretty sketchy. But it's better than not getting out. And it did work and it got us the like hour and a half drive home and it was we did have to stop one time just to top off, you know, add five PSI maybe. And anyway, that was the story. The tires were getting old and they were pretty street oriented. So I got some new Nitto Nomad grapplers and they're really cool. So anybody with a truck, I think it's a pretty new tire from Nitto, fairly streetable and 
yeah, they look really cool and they are light truck rated. So they'll be a little bit thicker. Um, Does your truck have a full size spare? It does not. And that's one other thing Uh. that I am changing. That's another thing you should really just do on your car if you have the ability to do that. So there's enough storage room in mine, which is really cool. It just goes in the same spot. You just like flip some tool tray stuff around and you can plop a full size spare. So I just hopped on eBay and bought an identical alloy rim to what I have and then took the best old tire and you mount it on there and boom, you got a full size spare. So next time that happens, you can choose to either plug it or put your awesome full size spare on that you can still drive at 100 miles an hour on. (laughs) Ooh, can I give people one hot tip? Yes. If you are not on pavement... I would recommend plugging your tire if possible because you could have another problem later. Yes, that's pretty accurate. But you could also just plug it later. You could plug your spare later. Now you'd have to swap, you know, you'd be swapping wheels again, which is annoying. But the added benefit to that is you can now plug your wheel off the car. It's just a little bit easier to work with. Yep. The moral of the story is have a full-size spare if you can and B, have a plug kit with multiple plugs. Oh, one more hot car tip for people. Check the air in your spare tire occasionally. Yeah. Oh, it definitely. doesn't matter. You got that badass compressor. Do whatever you want. <laughs> but yes, that's good advice. Yeah, look, look those tires up. They look like they probably drive very well, but they have a much nicer sidewall than like what you had before. Yeah, and it's just a like thicker, drive very well. On it's the a thicker casing. It's not a passenger car tire. It's a LT rated tire. Shit slaps. Should be great. But other than that, what else have I been doing? Yeah. We rode the motos. It was fun. We slogged through a bunch of snow. I'll post some pictures and videos. We did attempt to cross a pretty crazy snow crossing. And of course, it won't look like anything on a video, but it was just like the steepest. It looked like a double black diamond ski slope run, and it had about that much snow (laughs) down on it. Everything was good up to that one point, but it was just like a little pocket of the mountain that just hadn't melted off yet. So you still got, and I exaggerate, it's, you know, probably five to 10 feet deep. But yeah, the trail hits it at 90 degrees, which is great. But then you hit, you're on a 45 degree slope at that point. So you're like side hilling <laughs> on a melting ski run. And it's probably, I don't know, it was probably 50 to 100 feet. So we tried to just hit it with speed and like try to ride up as high as you can. But the second your front tire touches that snow, you are off of your motorcycle. It just instantly crashes and then you slide down this hill which is really scary because you can actually slide down a part of this mountain where you like probably couldn't get the motorcycle back out of oh fuck yeah it was fun but we had two people so we figured nothing bad could happen (laughs) it was good we probably slugged through the snow for an hour i'm guessing all the different little passes that we had to do so it was a fun adventure i like that stuff it's just a, a good time doing stuff that you don't have to do that's difficult is sometimes fun yeah definitely that's it all right well, I can go. I, yeah, Matt and I rode, what day was that that we did? Sunday. Yeah. Matt had this really, uh, a long and arduous ride planned, and I was like, well, I, I Ambitious. Don't, yeah, I don't really feel awesome, but a lot of times what happens is even before a ride, if I don't feel great, if I just get out and warm up, all of a sudden I'll feel fine. And I was just going to give myself that, that chance, and I actually, I felt, felt really good once I got moving. And yeah, we went up this road called Sand Gulch Road, and it is exactly that. It's this decomposed granite sand, and it actually was a little bit moist, which made it, I was going to say made the ride harder, because it meant that you could actually pedal through it at not full power, and 
I think if it had been dry and powdery and dusty, we would have gone half a mile into it and been like, yeah, fuck this. Let's turn around and do something else. It was just easy enough to keep going. Yeah. But it was really fucking hard. So we, yeah, we didn't do his whole entire uh, hell ride, but it was still a very difficult ride. Oh, I forgot about something. What? About that ride. I don't know if the fork I have just needs to be serviced or if I have become a better bike rider or if I'm just... I do weigh more. Have I talked about that on the show? Uh, Yeah, I think so. Yeah, how fat are you so now? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Fuck you, Kenny. Don't oh, give him a complex. 170. Okay. I mean, that's not super fat. I've gotten a little fat, too. <laughs> yeah, but you ride an e-bike. <laughs> <laughs> I think, like, weight to height, we're probably equally fat now. You mean just not underweight anymore? <laughs> Because yeah, Matt, Matt went from Matt went from like on the the below. I don't know if you look at BMI, which I know don't don't it's problematic. Me, it's it is problematic, but it does give you a very general suggestion of what your weight should be for your height. If you're an averagely muscled and you know normally distributed fat type of human. And yeah, like he went from being underweight on BMI to now he's like a normal healthy weight on BMI. The wind can blow when the sun is behind a cloud and I don't get cold. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's actually <laughs> so probably good for him. How tall are you, Kenny? You're like 5'10 or 11? I thought you were going to say when remember. the wind blows, your your stomach flaps a little bit. Fuck <laughs> you. How tall are you? Uh, it depends on who you ask. I'm asking you, fucker. <laughs> I am. His Tinder profile says he's six feet tall. I am 5'10. How much do you weigh now? 155 to 160, depending on the day. Yeah, I think we both did the same thing. Like, we both just gained. You filled out a little. Yeah, but like, my clothes just fit now. <laughs> why did, why really did you thought... all this time have clothes that didn't fit? Wh- because most clothes that come in at tall, so I'll say it so Matt doesn't have to say it. Most clothes that are long enough, like long inseam and long sleeves, are on larger sized clothes than what fits a 145 pound... 155 pounds. 155 pound, six foot two person. Yeah, that makes sense. And I guess also, it's not like I went from size 30 to 32 pants. My 30 pants just don't fall off as much anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know if it's a combination. It's probably a combination of things. I think I'm probably getting a little bit better at riding downhill. I'm a little bit heavier. All this together, the 100 mil SID is just not doing it for me anymore. That 32 mil chassis fork is just stiff. It's it's not comfortable. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't think... So the last time I rode a 32 mil chassis back fork... Back in my day. Back in the day, uh, was when I had the Rocky Mountain Element, which was the previous model Element that was definitely a cross-country bike. And it came with a Fox 34 step cast in 120 and i put a was it a step cast 100 on there yeah it was a factory step cast yeah. 100 gen one yeah so i put that fork on there for for the express reason of cross-country racing i mean i was participating in cross-country and shorter endurance races and i put that on there just to for it to be as light as possible and i didn't like riding it outside of racing and training to cross-country race. And I, I didn't find it comfortable. I think the 34-step the cast was much better, and the bike just it just felt better all around with that fork on it. And I don't know if it had... I don't think it had anything to do with my weight. I mean, I weighed 
slightly more than I do now. And it was, I don't think, I think now if I put a 32 step cast on a cross country bike, I still wouldn't, I wouldn't like it. Even though I, I weigh slightly, I'm like five or eight pounds less than I used to be. Yeah. The reason I think we should clarify that the reason the 32s feel harsh sometimes is when you outride them, they, they, bind up. they tend to bend and you think bending is flexy, but when it bends, it no longer goes up and down and doesn't do suspension things anymore. It just does bendy fork things and it <laughs> feels harsh. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't, I don't think I really, it might've been a little harsh, but I think more what I didn't like was how it would deflect in rocky stuff. I didn't, I didn't like that about it. Yeah, that fork definitely, it was very easy to get your handlebars and your front wheel out of perpendicular, for sure. Out of plane with each other? Well, yeah, like perpendicular. Yeah, sure. That makes sense. But anyway, so we went on this ride, and let's see, that was on Sunday on Monday. I think I probably worked, I don't remember. And Tuesday, I went out and did another elk scouting trip. And did the same thing that I did the time before where I hiked up a up a trail into a mountain drainage, but then I traversed over into the next mountain drainage. So I and, thought uh, I thought elk season was kind of short. Uh, archery season is in is all of September. Oh, okay. Basically. Yeah, it's like September second through the thirtieth or something. You get a long time. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to switch to archery. But for the, for the most get... part, though, I mean, it's assuming you did everything. You did no, you did normal. I don't know what you call it. Normal gun hunting, and you also did archery, and you were doing elk. What is that entire span? Is it like two or three months or something? Oh, so you can only get one for the most part. I mean, I'm not going to go well, into. I mean, what's the, the what's God. the season? I'm forget not going to tag. For, forget the tag for a second. Like what well, you so can you do, have to, but what is the entire window that you could possibly get a tag for? Oh, you can get an archery tag for September, or you can get a gun tag, a rifle tag for. It's like the first week of November, the third or the third week of November, or in some areas you get. Um, you actually in some areas you can get a. A week in October, and some you can get a week in like the end of November, beginning of December. So that's there's that's four very, different. That's pretty short. Yeah, and you can only get one of those if you're doing a rifle hunt. You can only get one of those weeks. You can't get multiples. Sure. Generally speaking, I mean, they in some cases you can. I'm not going to go into it because it is way out of the. <laughs> If you start talking list A versus list B, I'm taking my headphones out and I'm just going to bed. Yeah, so it is it is possible to get two elk tags or deer tags or something, but for the most part, you get one. And you choose if you want an archery tag or if you want one of those week-long gun seasons. Got it. Yeah. But uh, it was a really good trip. I found... Uh, lots, lots of elk sign. Unfortunately, in this drainage, there was a big blowdown. And there was one in the last one I went into, but it was worse in this one. And it made it really difficult to get, just get around in general if you if you were lower down. Once you got above about, I don't know, it was probably around 10,500 feet up to about 11,000 feet. Uh, once you're above that, it was pretty clear. So what the fuck is a blowdown? Is that like... That's is that where, something that happens in a creek? Uh, it, it can happen anywhere. It's where a gigantic gust of wind or a windstorm blows most of the trees down. And so it's like, have you ever played the game Pick Up Sticks when you were a kid? I don't think I ever played that game. 
Okay, so it's like pickup sticks, which is where you have these maybe toothpick-sized but it's long. It's like wooden spaghetti. Yeah, think about uh, spaghetti. If you took a pack of spaghetti and you just threw it on the ground in a pile, that's what the trees are like. Got it. Yeah. So this drainage has a lot of that in it, so it wouldn't be my first choice to hunt in, um, but just in general, it seems like the animals are really, um, they're concentrating in these areas where, I mean, surprise, they're concentrating in these areas where there's not a trail going into the mountains uh, because it's, it's just safe. There's fewer people. And it's very possible that I'm the only person that will go into really the last trip and this trip. Um, I'm the only person that's going to go into that drainage in years. I mean, literally years because it's it's really difficult to get into. And most people just don't think I'm going to try and get to that spot. And then on top of that, people that say, I want to go there, don't, you know, they would get halfway up and be like, oh, fuck this shit. This is impossible and they would just go back did you dip your buns in the creek i did i i went it was i mean on that note with there being absolutely no one around it was really hot and i had a long hike back and i was walking next to this creek and saw this little spot where there was a waterfall and like a bathtub sized pool and i just took all my clothes off and just got in and it was for about 15 seconds at a time probably before I jumped out. I went went in a couple of times, but it was fresh snow melt, so it was ice, ice cold water. There's some pine squirrel that's like telling this story to his buddies, <laughs> and his buddies are like, what do you mean this white thing with like printed skin <laughs> stripped down and jumped into the creek a few times? What, Jimmy, <laughs> quit smoking crack. <laughs> yeah, and I, I actually did... On my way out, I I heard some elk. I did not see them, but I definitely scared some elk off because there's nothing else that makes a sound like, you know, seven and eight hundred pound animals running through the trees away from you. It's a very distinct noise that they make when they run. So uh, there were elk up there and there was lots of sign of elk that had been rutting, which is what I'm looking for because that's what they do in September is they start fighting and uh, you know, they do the three F's. You got to find where they do the three F's um, in September. Fight fucking food? Yeah, that's exactly what they or do up feed. there. I guess feed. we want to stay with verbs. Yeah, exactly. So I'm finding those spots and I'm going to go out again next week and keep finding them. So I have lots of options um, come September. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. And then, yeah, like Matt said, we went to the pizza party. It was, it was wonderful. So I did this 14 mile hike that was really strenuous. And then I went to a pizza party and was just housing pizza. And the, the guy that owns the house, the baker guy, uh, Mark, really nice dude. His mom lives with them. And she's an elderly lady. And she's, just imagine a very small old lady. And she's very sweet. Uh, and to put it in perspective, when mom, A little sassy. When mom came up to make her pizza... Someone was like, can you see? Yeah, she doesn't see well. She's what you're doing? And she was like, yeah. And then somebody was like, do you want mushrooms? And she went for the artichoke hearts. <laughs> she has macular degeneration is what she told me. So she doesn't see well. But she sat next to me and she saw well enough that I housed at least three of these small pizzas. I just kept eating them because they were delicious and they're small. And at one point, 
I went back for another piece and I was eating it vicious, viciously. And she said, you have an appetite. <laughs> and it was, it was hilarious because she, <laughs> and then she immediately felt bad about saying that. And I told her not to because she was correct. I did have quite the appetite, but I think that was Tuesday was the highlight of my week. It's just been downhill from there. All right, sorry. I was looking up is a moose bigger than a bison because that was just really important to me. Ooh, I bet they weigh probably similar nope. amount. Does a bison weigh more? Probably way more. Okay, way more. So a moose can be like up to fifteen hundred pounds. Bison can get up to three thousand pounds, but a moose is taller. Yeah, a moose is really tall. Bison's like the corgi of large yeah. ungulates. Exactly. Uh, we should stop talking about ungulates and start talking about shit we hate. All right. Uh, let's start with. I got one queued up. Okay, what is it? Cushcore X or E mountain bike. It's a 300 gram tire insert. Oh yeah, I saw that and I was just gonna mention it. I didn't wasn't actually gonna like talk about it too much. That's that's really it. A 300 gram tire insert. I'm just I don't get it. Just put more air in your tires. I mean, you gotta have that grip though. Gotta get that traction. Do you have any thoughts, Kenny? Mm, no, I don't think I care. Like maybe maybe they'll come out with a moose tube type thing or something. Oh, God, I can't wait until people are, like, folding the sides of their DT Swiss rims off trying to install a boost tube <laughs> on a mountain bike wheel. Yeah. That'd be amazing. Yeah, I imagine. Breaking the edges off their control SL rims. Yep. <laughs> um, all right, what's next? I was going to go over to something I think is really fucking cool, and that is that Bike Yoke has released, I guess, mm. prototype pictures. Or they, they're, they're generating uh, buzz. They're generating buzz about their Revive wireless dropper post, as well as new pedals and handlebar, but fuck, who cares about those? Can Is, I make fun of the handlebar quickly? What do you want to make fun about it? Oh, they just made a one-up bar, and they're acting like they're reinventing the wheel. Oh, yeah, it's like a little bit flat on top in the rise section. Is one-up yeah, really the compliance. first company to do like a shaped carbon bar? Well, but the whole spiel... Not the shape, but the weird flaring, so it has vertical compliance and torsional stiffness. Yeah, exactly. I mean, not I think that, it looks cool. Not that people haven't laid up bars to like do flexy things or not flexy things, depending depending on what they want to do. But the actual like outside visible, uh, visible physical shape of the bar is like a little bit different on the one up, right? Yeah. Uh, Trubate made some too. weird looking carbon bars for a long time that they oh, looked they? pregnant. Is the only way to describe it. Mm. The the flare. Who made them? Uh, Truvative okay. had the descendant carbon bar, and it just looked awful. When you sat on the bike, they were they were on the Rebel demo bikes, and they just looked wrong. Um, these bars also have a titanium mesh reinforcement in the brake and shifter remote clamping area, which I, I mean I, I think that's it. cool. Yeah. Yeah. I've got so no, you can't toss no them in huge, a wood chipper. Got no huge problem with that. Yeah, back to the post, though. I think that looks cool. They say it's going to... Where are you seeing see, that so I can look at it with my eyeballs? I'm looking at it on Bike Rumor. Hmm. You could send him a link in the chat if you want to get real fancy. I think he'll probably find probably. it before I'll, I'm, I'll dig around and, and find it, I'm sure. Oh, there it is. I was trying to find... Why is the it weight? silver? Because it's prototype and they want you to look at it. Okay. What's it's still got the lever dangly thing on it? That's a tool. You're not supposed to leave that in your seat post. No, man. It's where's virtue the, signal. Where's the battery? What, I don't understand what's happening. In so the, it, scroll you, down. The battery is in the bottom of the post, but they say you. Um, let's see. I read the article and now I'm trying to go back and find. 
Whoa. Both things the details. Have, both uh, things have rechargeable batteries. Pretty okay. I mean, that's but interesting. It should last. It should last a long time, is what they were saying. Like months of riding before you have to recharge it. Sure. I mean, I that's cool. I don't love. I don't and you love have to take the your external post out to nature it. of the reverb where that battery sits. That's obviously very problematic because they fly off for people and hit tires and saddlebag issues and all that other kind of stuff, right? So I think just run it backwards. I think that's pretty. <laughs> I think this is pretty cool. For what it's worth, I really like the bike yoke droppers I've had. They've been super reliable. So that's pretty cool. You yeah, and want... they're saying this is going to be, I mean, this is a super prototype. They're saying this will be model year 2024. But do you want to remove your post from your bike to charge your battery? I'm not oh, stoked I about I mean, that. I think that's a little bit silly, but I guess if you have to do it every few months, it's not the not that big a deal. Yeah, you just you just wrap a piece of electrical tape around it, pull it out, charge it, put it back in. I think Given that they say it lasts a long time, I don't think that's a big deal. If you had to charge it once a week, I think that would be a pain in the ass. But uh, they are saying that the target retail price, uh, this is the quote, a good bit cheaper than SRAM Axis or maybe half again more expensive than the mechanical revive post, including the wireless remote. So, half more expensive. Awesome. So it's yeah, going to be 600 bucks, 650 yeah, yeah. Which that would be but, cool. Yeah, they um, it has the same function as the mechanical stuff, where if you do have air that sneaks past the IFP, that you can. So eat. when air sneaks past, the yeah, IFP. you can you can fix your your post sag. Do so you I, think, I think that's really cool. Do you think that Bike Yoke has a prototype suspension fork right now? I'll bet you they do. I don't care. Yeah, it'd be a while. <laughs> I mean, look, they came out and they made a good dropper post and. I mean, even if they made a good fork, it's going to be hard to get into because no one, they started making good dropper posts when dropper posts were still a little hokey, not hokey, maybe like harder to service. Finicky. Finicky. Yeah. That's a good word. Like KS was still a reasonable option. Right. Yeah. So you can't. You couldn't buy an amazing wolf tooth resolve dropper post. (laughs) This is my wolf tooth plug so no one breaks my kneecaps. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so like they made a really good dropper post when a lot of dropper posts were finicky. If they make a suspension fork now... They made longer, light, reliable before anyone else. Yeah, yeah. but, But now we have all of that stuff in a suspension fork. So if they come out with one for... For me to be interested in it, it's got to just blow everyone else out of the water, or it's got to come out and be absolutely equal to anything that Fox and RockShox makes. So I have an idea. I've got an idea for a fork. It's going to be single crown, 38 mil stanchion, 120 travel, and the crown is going to be made by Lauf, and the crown (laughs) is going to have a little bit of compliance in it, and it's going to have buttercups. So that thing is going (laughs) to eat some small stuff. Wait, no, no, no. So let me help. Let's brainstorm this live. Let's workshop this. Yeah, we're going to workshop this. Let's circle back to the Lauf part. All right, circling back. <laughs> Let's drop that stanchion size down to 34.5. Okay. Hear me out, though. To remove the binding and the smaller stanchion, we're going to have a Lauf system in the crown that allows the fork to deflect fore and aft without binding, right? Mm-hmm. You yep. with me? Yeah, that, that was that's the idea. And then instead of buttercups, because that's trademarked, we're to kind of call them margarine ponds. Well, art is, I mean, I know buttercup itself, like the name, of course, is going to have a trademark on it. But the concept of having a rubber 
bumper doohickey thing in there? Do you think that's patented? Well, but we have to have a good name. And ours are going to be, like, when I say margarine pond, you know how a Stepcast 34 and all those have the weird shaping on the bottom? This sure. is going to have an extra large bottom with a giant rubber thing. in the. In, but it's it's just going to be like... The, a, the buttercup on a SRAM or a Rock Shocks fork is the the alloy part at the bottom. It's not the jounce bumper thing that's in. That's I know that, that it's not the jounce bumper, but if you want to make a margarine pond size buttercup, you're going to have to make the lowers larger in diameter at the bottom. And it's going to be roughly two inches in diameter. And then to clear the wheel and everything, <laughs> it's going to have a much wider crown spacing than usual, but still run a regular 110 uh, front wheel. But it's going to use a very awful like Canada lefty-style brake adapter. Oh, my God. So another thing you could do, just thinking out loud here, is you could we could bring back the head shock oh and God. do like a head shock crown with a more traditional fork. That could be pretty cool. Ooh, wait a minute. Didn't wait. we have... We had something like this. We had an idea where we were going to build the world's worst bike, and I don't think we ever got through all of it. Wait a minute. <laughs> I think we just went, it's going to have a lefty fork. And then just stopped there. Wait We're not building minute. the worst bike. We're building the best bike right now. You know that intend fork that's a one and a half crown fork? Oh, my God. I don't know that I know what you're talking about. So it's like a dual crown fork. The damper side is single crown height. Oh, and the air crown yeah, side is I remember dual that crown now. height. Yep, I remember it. Okay, so hear me out. You have a thick... It's like a dual crown, right? And the... We're going to put Head Shock and Future Shock together. It's going to run a regular one and a half lower, one and one eighth upper. And all the suspension is going to happen between the two crowns, like beside your head tube. Okay. Yeah, sure. So you could have carbon lower legs. Mm -hmm. And then it's essentially like an air can beside your head tube. And that's where your 100 mils of travel is going to go. Oh, that would be really cool, actually. (laughs) And you know what would be really neat is what if the actual, the stanchions come up above the upper crown as it moves through its travel. So you get these two little pokey things that like poke out as it's going through travel. Poke both of your eyes out so you never have to look at your bike again? No, I mean, it'd only be like 100 mil travel. It'd be like the height of your head tube. No big deal. So it, it probably wouldn't get you. No, but I'm saying like the suspension happens beside the head tube. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm saying. Except I'll, I'll draw you a picture. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna draw a picture, and that's gonna go out with this episode. <laughs> anyway, there's. I think that'd be fun to come up with the JRA fork. I I will say the pedals look kind of cool because it's a it's a solid spindle that is serviceable, and the body of the pedal bolts onto that spindle so that they can you can have different platform sizes. And a replaceable platform. Uh, I do like that most of, not all of, but most of the pins, the head, like where you would remove a pin if it was damaged, on the, I guess, the part that's under, I guess, your toe and midfoot, um, those pins, if you're looking at the, the part that you would put the tool in to take the pin out, is sunk well into the body of the pedal, so it would be harder to fuck up. Though on the outside two pins, it sticks out, so that negates how cool the rest of it is. I'm going to say an unpopular thing. I don't really like products that tout all this replaceable stuff, right? It'd be like, I think Deity does it, supposedly, but you can't actually find any parts, and they're like, oh yeah, you know, you wear your grips out, you can just buy some new bodies. It's like, (laughs) okay, cool, 
Where the fuck well, do you find those? Well, grips and pedals are different, and then, a like, different price range. They're not going to have the color you want or whatever, and it's like so many freaking skews. And uh, let's let's circle back to this in five years and see <laughs> if they make parts for these pedals because they're not going to. I don't know. I, right. I, I like that someone is maybe thinking about that, but making something that's more expensive and more complicated with the guys that you can like replace parts on it. And when it comes time to actually do that, you're going to like have a worn out axle anyway. It's like, cool, you smash your pedal in. That's great. And now you can spend a whole, you can spend three quarters the price of the pedal and get some little pieces if you can find them anyway. I don't know. Just seems too many, too many parts making things complicated. Speaking of that, Kenny, have you seen the Abbey Tools truing stand? The truing stand, as they call it? I'm sure it's many thousands of dollars and it's got a lot of bling aluminum stuff on it. It's It's got a computer. All right, let's look. It has a computer readout for very precise wheel building. Okay, here we go. The truing stand. So, yeah, 1500 bucks. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, like, maybe it's nice. I mean, nice things are nice, I guess. My question is, how exact do you really... I don't know, I guess for building a wheel that you're going to sell to a customer or you know if you're a wheel building company or if that's all that you do is build wheels and people expect this amount of perfection it could be a useful tool but I think for your everyday bike shop it would definitely be I think if you're dealing with used stuff that's going to be imperfect because it's used I think that this is uh, too much and my argument would be I know what 0.25 millimeters looks like I can use my fucking eyeballs I don't need a computer (laughs) to tell me that it's some amount out like just build your wheel right and it's fine so yeah yeah i don't want to poo poo on it unless i've actually gotten my hands on it and used it but i really don't see the point of unless you want to again if you're a wheel building house kind of like andrea said and you want to publish a spec sheet with your wheels to like make the general public feel good about something i guess that's cool you could also just do that same thing and just lie about it and just put some random 0.25 millimeters off in like random spots and just print that with your wheels. And it could probably be accurate. Who cares? It just doesn't matter. Yeah, I was was just going to say, I don't care how round my wheels are. I mean, I care how round. I want them to be, I want them to be round, but I don't care if they're computer. They don't need to be that fucking round. Yeah, I'll say another. Put a Maxxis tire with. Yeah, exactly. casing wobble on it and i don't notice that so fuck me so in the real world if your wheel is a mil or two mil or god forbid three mil or something semi-rowdy out of you know out of true out of dish out of round is a little bit bigger of an issue but even then not a big deal if you got super duper ultra equal spoke tension that's super important for the longevity of a wheel but having like a mil or two hop like it just doesn't matter on a modern bike with disc brakes it just doesn't matter yeah they do come with a customized everyone comes with a customized nameplate and i do have to give it to abby tools here the nameplate that they have for their press release is marcellus wallace he does not look like a bitch to me you know who looks like a bitch people that pay 1450 dollars for a <laughs> chewing stand oh you spend 1500 dollars on a chewing stand and you know what you get you get a laser engraved part worth seven dollars <laughs> Abby makes great stuff, but the the biggest problem that I have with Abby is a lot of people that like stuff that's really nice, that's fine. You can like nice stuff. I drive a shitty old pickup truck. I have an iPhone SE2. 
I buy my pants on Amazon. I'm just not a fancy bitch. And I, I look at a lot of their tools and I'm like, I don't know that this will help me do anything better. I have one of their tools that's amazing, but it's because no other tool exists to do what it is. It's a four prong dub cap tightener. So that's, I think that's a really good point, Matt. And I'm very similar. I like nice things and can appreciate nice things, but I only want nice things if they're going to actually make my job easier or do something better or last a lot longer. If it just looks really fucking neat, I'm kind of out. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there are some wheel builders that they see this and they're like, man, I'm glad now there's this tool that can show me a part of a millimeter of run out. I mean, there are going to be some people, it's just like the POC sunglasses, the Thai 3D printed sunglasses. Sorry, there's like a Black Hawk helicopter in my backyard right now. (laughs) We think that the POC sunglasses were kind of dumb. Joke's on us. POC sold out of all of that shit immediately. So, (laughs) I don't know. Maybe we're the dumb ones, you know, saying that this is... This is stupid. Yeah, the only way they could have upped this Turing stand is if they made it out of hollow 3D printed titanium to make it lighter or something. Yeah, yeah. Ever That's since, what you guys ever since do, I Abby. swung that Abbey titanium hammer and hit something with it, <laughs> and I was, because I held it in my hand, it seems really neat. I like looking at things that are like machined and welded, like I can appreciate all that stuff. And I hit something with it, and I was so sad instantaneously and (laughs) full of regret i did not purchase said hammer thank god but i did uh another mechanic lent it to me and i hit one thing with it and i was fucking bummed matt who makes that one that we have that's what i was about to say one year for my birthday listener troy gifted me a titanium hammer from rollingdale cycles and i don't know the right i like it it has JRA anodized into it, which is amazing. It It is great for some things, but I'll be quite honest. I find myself, it has a, a removable or replaceable rubber side, and then like there's a tie face to it. And I find myself using the rubber side more than I do the tie side. But every time I touch it, I like Kenny said, I'm touching something that's very nice. And also, it was gifted to me by like a great friend, and it's a very thoughtful present, and you know we do use it all the it's the perfect hammer for installing a crank where you need to give the crank a little tap on each side during installation i like that it's just right for that it's good for those things where you don't need to just wail on something let's talk but, about some other expensive stuff in the bike shop a lot of okay. tap tap and die stuff is expensive it just is what's really crazy i think it's maybe i'm wrong is it phil wood who makes the super expensive spoke rollers that phil wood yeah, that's yeah. Bill makes that. Okay. Anyway, we've got probably three of those as a company. And those things are like five or six grand a pop. They but are they just work. crazy expensive. And if you want to get them serviced, bare minimum, it's a thousand. On the high side, it's going to be like three. So, wow. Yeah, because I've gotten that quote before. It's gnarly. Again, nice stuff is nice. And those at least have like a purpose and they can like churn out some spokes. But goddamn, it's a lot of dollars. Uh, what else are we going to make fun of today? Um, I don't think I want to make fun of this one. It's the, uh, other than the name, the Hutchinson Worm, I think. W-Y-R-M. And I think that's, they're calling it a downcountry tire. And it looks like a decently knobby tire. Kenny, I think you might actually like this one because there is a lot of negative space in there. Unlike, you know, we were talking about the Aggressor hardly has any negative space. Ooh, and it's... Okay, so... It's a reasonable weight, I think, for that knobby of a tire. 
929 grams. Yeah, I think it looks it looks reasonable for as far as tread pattern and all that kind of stuff goes. It's funny, even from the picture, it looks like a plasticky rubber compound. Something about it. But who knows? Maybe it's maybe it's great. So I've got a peeve on bicycle tires. Can we start making some bicycle tires that have knobs that actually stick out to the side every damn tire i've looked at recently they're like oh yeah it's you know wide trail made for fucking 30 mil rims okay every rim in the world is at least 30 millimeters wide now so your damn tires should fit on it and every single one of them is fucking square almost every single knob is touching the ground when the bike is just sitting there it's ridiculous so we need some goddamn side knobs this one looks like it has some side knobs. I mean, if you no, look at the... No, I mean, the... like, no, those are knobs that are pointed straight up that are kind of on the side of the tire. I want some knobs that just, stick out to the fucking side. Oh, you want that, uh, oh gosh, what's the, the Maxxis Shorty, I think is the one that you want. I don't know, maybe, but I just want to see, gotta, I've gotta look I want to see that, like, I want to see some freaking knobs coming out the side of the tire. So when you leaned over, you're actually, like, engaging those knobs. You're not just going to, like, run out of knobs. That's yeah, it. can you That's look at the Maxxis Shorty? You might like that one. All right. Maybe. I don't know. It may not be enough for you. Eh. Oh, God. Look at that. Look at the profile. Look at the picture. Look at picture number two. The I'm just, I just Google image searched. Oh, okay. I'm on Maxxis' site, and I'm on the second picture. And I see the sentiment. I see where you're trying to go, Andrea, but it makes me sad. It is fucking square. <laughs> you lean your bike over what about the, 20 degrees. This is the one I, I think... The one that I think I was trying to remember is the wet scream. It looks like a motorcycle tire. Yeah, I think we might be getting somewhere. But even, yeah, okay, it's, it's better. It's better for sure. <laughs> so everyone's homework is to go look at what a, um, who makes that? It's a Dunlop MX-33 front tire. And go look at what those side knobs are like. It's insane. They're actually, they go out 90 degrees. Yeah, but you don't ride a bicycle that way. Dunlop, what is it? You should. MX-33. Uh, MX-33. You're looking for the front because the rear is quite different. But I've ridden one of those, and it's pretty amazing what you can do on that. I wonder, if though, if there's a big difference about like how you can wait and drive with throttle and stuff. I, I, I guarantee there is obviously a, a big difference there. But having the option of having a little bit extra, even if you don't use them all the time, I'd like to know that they're there instead of being like, know. oh, yep, we're at a knob. You're on the ground. Have fun. Should we start closing some of your tabs and get to questions? We should probably do one half of one question. I was going to, the last new shit, the Hope dropper lever. Looks cool. I like it. Did they just order a wolf tooth lever? It, it looks like the own? wolf tooth lever. That's, <laughs> but you know what? Like a session. But you know what it doesn't have? The wolf tooth lever, lever has a pointy bottom, and this does not. And I have one time, I will say I've been running the wolf tooth lever a long time, I have jammed that into the top of my thigh during an unplanned dismount. Yeah, it does. Do you want me to just it does take look, that off and run it on a belt sander for you? It no, looks nice. No, it's it fine. looks nice. But yeah, it, it looks like a it's like Wolf Tooth made that lever and everyone else is like, fuck, we gotta start doing that. That's a really good yeah. lever. It's cool. They got like neat anodized options and stuff. Like I'm not angry at that. I think it's I think it's reach cool. and leverage adjustment. Yeah, and luckily it's got a replaceable thumb paddle for when you wear it out and fucking stupid shit. Yeah, like Here's another thing, though. You don't need to replace your thumb paddle if there's not a screw to rattle loose Ooh, and fall out. The reach know, adjustment exactly. is actually a knob on the lever. And by the way, I'm joking. I don't know if it has a replaceable paddle. I'm just seeing it and making that up. 
but maybe it actually is replaceable. Yeah, the little starting reach thing's a neat idea, kind of like a... Yeah, I like that. Like I a, like that reach like adjustment a, a lot. Like a moto lever or something like that. That's really cool. Yeah, that's cool. The world's first one-pound dropper lever. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking about how, yeah, Troy hates it when I say I'm tired in his show, but like I, I'm more thinking about what I have to do tomorrow. All right, I'm We're going to talk go. about the jack shaft bike. No, we don't have to. Can we make fun of the DV8 cycles downcountry bike? The high pivot down. Well, I think that was, I mean, it's, yeah, high pivot downcountry bike, maybe not. Um, I just had one hot, it, it, it leads into a hot take that I wrote down before we started. That's like, so if you have a high pivot downcountry bike, if you're making that, I feel like that's the bike you're making. It's kind of like when Yeti made the short travel bike. It's like, okay, I have a 170 millimeter enduro bike. This is the bike I want as a quote-unquote cross-country bike. But I think the cooler thing is the manufacturing process, I think, is the bigger deal about this article about the uh, downcountry bike. So here's the thing that I have to say, and I don't... you Two things off the bat. I don't care if it hurts your feelings, and you're not going to change my mind. If it runs a piggyback, it's not a downcountry bike. It's just a short travel trail bike. If if your bike is designed around a piggyback or you sell a coil option or any bullshit like that, it's not a downcountry bike. It's just a small trail bike. That's yeah. That. I think you're right. Yeah. Well, are we gonna say that when like Rockshox comes out with like a Sid dongle, a Sid with a, a Sid uh, with a ten what mil would that be stanchion? A, what would the nomenclature there be? A super Sid Lux, not like a super deluxe. <laughs> super Sid Lux remote ultimate. ultimate. Oh, we have to go through any possible name so SRAM can't use those names because they can't use any names. Oh, a super Sid. Super Sid. Uh, uh, super Sid Lux Ultimate. Well, but Super Sid would, the ultimate is just adding in like the. Oh, yeah, that's the spec level, like the. Select, select yeah, plus yeah. ultimate. I don't know. Maybe I'll change my mind then. <laughs> but if you're but if you're running a trail bike shock on your downcountry bike, it's just a fucking trail bike. Yeah, I think you're right. All right. I'm done being angry about that. Yeah. I mean, this is a a tie carbon frame and apparently I'm not going to go into the details, but the manufacturing process, they're expecting it to make this frame extremely affordable. So, I have a question. Question is this. High pivot bikes. I haven't really ridden them off-road. I'm sure they're fantastic. The thing I don't get is if you start making a shorter travel high pivot bike, you would think you'd want to like pedal the thing. But why the fuck would you ever pedal a high pivot bike that's got a zillion idler pulleys and all this bullshit on it? <laughs> it's got one idler pulley. I just but don't okay. understand. It is, I... It's going to be so inefficient when you pedal that bike. There's no possible way it cannot be inefficient. Can I? I'm going to say one thing and then we have to move on. I like... It's it's obviously well, I mean it's a UDH bike given the hole in the in the hanger area but it also has some really terrible uh, frame bosses for your cable housing. Okay, you just go, whack go your ahead. chain and it negates the inefficiencies. <laughs> Matt, you needed to say that again. I was we were talking. You you just wax your chain and that negates the inefficiencies <laughs> of the high idler. <laughs> yeah, <bit. laughs> yeah. Okay. And for what it's worth, I listened to a lot of podcasts this week about waxing chains and i still don't get it i thought you were going to say that you're converted you'd be like oh well you know everyone's been doing it wrong one person's figured it out it's a, it's the six crock pot solution and, and that's why that's where people are going wrong 
Oh man, do we want to go to? We have two listener. We're questions. gonna they're gonna go fast because there's a third one, and we're just gonna knock them out. Okay, so, this is Troyza from Briz Vegas says. Just confirming standard Epic Evo has 190 by 40 with all the volume spacers possible installed from factory. I've taken out the 5 mil travel reducer for an extra 13 millimeters of travel and have not looked back. Same settings and no longer bottoming out and no tire seat post clearance issues. Just don't ask specialized. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so that's go. for our listener from last week. So that's interesting. Uh, who was good, bottoming out. Good info. So question. I mean, it Oh, wait, but that like was... He says Epic Evo, and the listener last week just said Epic. Okay. Uh, question would be, how did we change that travel? I wonder, are there any shocks out there? Maybe listeners can chime in. Are there any shocks out there where you can change the actual stroke of the shock without actually disassembling the damper and doing a full rebuild? Because everyone I've no. seen has a fully captive sleeve, essentially, a metal o-ring or a metal washer that's actually on the damper shaft so are there any you're aware of matt or andrea not that i'm aware of okay i've only ever dealt with it on foxes and every fox is that way where you have to like rebuild the shock yeah i don't know and when i say rebuild not just like take the air can off like the damper's coming out all your damper oil's coming out your magic nitrogen's coming out uh what's the next question uh this is from tom who has Two of his goats are living in our yard right now. It was three, but the big one was a troublemaker and kept jumping the fence. So uh, it's just two goats now. Question for Kenny. I'm interested in procuring an electric motorcycle in the next couple of months. Is Lunacycle.com a legit dealership? They have the Talaria Sting R MX4 in stock. It's $4,500. Would it be a good choice for somebody who doesn't want a 225-pound bike? Looks like the this one is around 145 pounds. Follow-up question. What would the immediate upgrades and their cost do if I did order one of these bad boys? Ooh, what a what a great question and an amazing listener. <laughs> uh, Tom is pretty amazing. Yeah. So to answer your question, Lunacycle is gigantic. Lunacycle basically started the Suron craze. They were the exclusive, I don't know about North American, but definitely the U.S. distributor for Suron and they got Suron where they are today. There's a lot of behind the scenes politics that I've talked to a lot of people about. That's gets a little bit rowdy, I believe, uh, where Luna, I think is uh, pretty, uh, I think the dude who owns Luna is maybe, uh, I don't want to say ruthless. That's not the right word, but a he's, he's a businessman. And I think he extremely savvy. He, he's pretty savvy. And I think he, I think towards the end, Suron was trying to grow a little bit and some agreements that they made earlier on with Luna did not allow them to do that. So my understanding is ties have been at least partially broken there or maybe a, a term or a contract is up now. I don't really know all the details there. But anyway, yes, Luna is legit. I don't think there's anything wrong with them. They've got real people there. It's a huge place. They're going to have good support. Like I have nothing bad to say about Luna, so that's totally legit and fine. And about the Talaria Sting R, which is also called the MX4, that's the one you want. That is the one to buy, I assure you. So I haven't actually ridden one of those yet because they're basically not even out. Like very few people have gotten them yet. But it's basically, I've got a Talaria. It's a Talaria with a bigger battery and a bigger controller, essentially. Some other small updates, but it's what you want. It's so you don't, the problem is, with these things, if you want the little bit more power, which is what they really need, you're spending $2,000 plus on a battery, $1,000 on a controller, like three grand, not negotiable. 
that's what it costs. So it's nice that from the factory, this is coming with almost enough power for everybody. So I think that's awesome. That's a perfect move. As far as what you got to do to it, uh, it depends on what you want to do. If you want to just stick around with it, it's fine as is. If you want to really ride single track off road and you are taller than five foot six, let's say, I would put an 1821 wheel combo on it and you're going to have to probably do a different fork or at least get them revalved and you're going to need a new rear shock and all the other touch point stuff, bar, stem, pegs. What well, what was that rear shock that you got? It is a uh, EXT. EXT makes the right. best rear shock for that right now. It is freaking unreal. You guys should uh, listen to slash watch the electric cycle rider review of that shock. It's pretty much the exact same things that I said, which is it doesn't make sense how fucking good this thing is. It's just a, the best shock ever. Now they're a thousand bucks, but it's freaking amazing. And you bolt it right in, comes with the spherical bearings already. Like it's freaking legit. So that would be my recommendation. That's a lot of stuff though. I get it. You're going to be spending 750 on wheels. We'll call it a thousand with tires and the rear shocks a thousand. So that's two grand. If you're going to do a bomber 58, that's another grand. So you're at three grand. Now you could revalve. Uh, you can send that fork off to charge cycles slash suspension syndicate and they can revalve it for you, which is pretty cool. But the problem is it doesn't properly clear a 21 inch tire. It's going to hit the fender. So that's where the bomber 58 comes in. But big asterisk here, bomber 58 is not obviously rated for an emoto. So if you die, it's not my fault. I run one. It's awesome. But I'm not super fat. I'm only like medium fat now. <laughs> I, uh, you know, Tom's a little bigger than you are. Yeah. So maybe just stick with that. Why you got to do the man like that? <laughs> I don't think Tom would be offended if I said he's bigger than Kenny. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, that's my advice. I know that's a lot of, that's like a fire hose worth of stuff. But basically, I think that bike for $4,500 plus three grand, which is a lot of money. But for $7,500, you can have a freaking killer off-road single track slaying Talaria. And it's basically what I have right now, except mine's not the MX-4. So mine's just stock battery, stock controller. And I did, by the way, my Suron is gone and sold. So I am just freeing up cash for the next cool thing, which very well could be, by the way, an MX-4. And I can just swap over all my goodies right onto that chassis and then sell this thing as a used one for call, call it 3,500 bucks or something. And so for a thousand dollars, I get to upgrade my battery and motor and controller, which is really cool. You should do that, Kenny. I should probably do that. Plus I don't have a guest one anymore, which is a bummer. So maybe I'll just hang on to this for a minute, but who knows? There could be Stark Vargs in the future, Ultra Bees in the future. There's all kinds of cool stuff coming out. So anyway... Sorry, I'll shut up now because that's a lot of Emoto talk, and that's the first question. Uh, Matt, you said there was a third one. Yeah, so Clayton dildo baggins or whatever he. No, Clayton is uh, the he was the combo breaker in the patron list. I don't remember what his name was though. Anyways, he wanted to know what is the equivalent in the bicycle world of like early two thousands tuner culture. Ooh, and I think. As in early 2000s tuner culture in the car world? What is that equivalent to in the yeah. bicycle yeah. world? Kenny, that shit that you and I used to do. Sure. Because <laughs> hmm. I have an idea. Like what would be the I... equivalent in products available today? Ooh, I think that it's, this is mine. This is mine. Like This is my first thought just right off the top of my head. It's the Endurbros that do all of the like matching Yano shit. Just all of the, yeah, it's matching Yano 
and tailgate pads and Yeti coolers. And yeah, it's pretty much that Endurbro, not the actual Enduro performance stuff, but the people who want to look the part, the super, yeah, I think that's what it is. Mine was going to be, when I think of tuner culture, at that time I was younger than y'all. So I'm thinking more of like the AutoZone tuner culture, if that makes sense. Oh, like the stuff you get off the... Like the cheaper stuff? Yeah. And for me, the thing that came to mind was the not matching Anno stuff. So like the four shades of anodized red. And the other thing that comes to mind is like the... It's like, yeah, dude, I got an exhaust and an intercooler. And it's like, cool. Or an exhaust and a new, like... Intake header exhaust. In, yeah. yeah. Or like, hey, I like, got an exhaust and an intercooler. And they're like, yo, you don't have a turbo car. And they're like, I know. <laughs> well, <laughs> for me to like that part of it would be like the Vorsprung suspension stuff where you're like doing all this crazy <laughs> shit to your suspension. It's pretty and you funny because really that actually came to mind for me as well. Yeah. I think it's the people that, that their clothes and their bike and all of the Anno parts like their tailgate pad at the brewery and all of that shit has to match. Like it's all about, it's really like that flashy, that look that people are trying to get because I feel like that was the part of the tuner culture that that I remember the most. It's like the car show shit where you have a car that's been polished and waxed until you, know, you can see your face on it. And then like a lady in a bikini sitting on it. That's what those people Yeah, the weird thing is when people would take like a, I don't know, whatever, some Honda. A Honda CRX. And they would wire tuck the engine bay. That always blew my fucking mind because the amount of time and money it takes to redo an entire harness to make it like not visible. And then you like take the motor and shit out and then you actually respray. You you fill in every, every hole and weird divot and all this stuff and all the normal stampings of your engine bay. And cut out like all the old seam seal. Yeah, you like fill all that stuff in, weld it, do all that stuff, and then respray your engine bay and pop your engine back in with a tucked harness to make it look like this weird showcase thing was so fucking bizarre to me. Like on one hand, I can appreciate the amount of time and effort that goes into it. But then when you think about like Jesus Christ, this kid just spent $10,000 to accomplish fucking nothing <laughs> is mind blowing. Right. And that's, yeah, that's, that's what I, I feel like instead of the car show for bikes, it's the, uh, the parking lot or the brewery after the ride. You're dressing everything up, even yourself. Like you're dressing all that shit up just for that. Come and look at my shit time. By the way, wire tucking an engine bay is, uh, the same thing as routing cables through a headset. Just saying. <laughs> I might buy a bike with headset routing. So is tuner culture actually uh, like road and triathlon then like where you're trying to hide all the cables? No, because I don't think the road and tri... I know. Luckily, I, I think to kidding. answer the question is luckily there's not a direct analog for tuner culture, tuner culture uh, in the bike world, which is amazing because, yeah, the car tuner culture thing was... Yeah, that was a pretty shameful time. <laughs> Luckily, I never personally got super involved in it, but I was definitely adjacent to it, like big time, where you would, yeah, you would go to some car was... show or whatever and see all that stuff. And like, I felt like you were just coerced into thinking that this was normal and a good way to spend money. And yeah, thank God I knew better. Jesus. No, I didn't. <laughs> all right. Well, shut her down. 
By the way, uh, Clayton's combo breaker name was Barrel Adjuster No Roll of a Jig. Ah. Yeah. So, well, cool. Yeah, we, this has been an extraordinarily long show, and I'm going to curse it all weekend while I edit it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's an hour 25 right now, so this will let people know how many pauses and stuff we have and how many uh, you know, racial slurs and stuff we have to edit out of the show. <laughs> 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 yep alright well if that's everything there's no racial slurs yeah that's yeah, you never, you never hear them <laughs> Jesus Kenny <laughs> fuck you shut up we're gonna cut that part out you dickhead oh <laughs> uh, good night are we shutting it down yeah push the button now alright everyone push the button push the button thank you all for listening and good night push the button thanks for tuning in to the Just Riding Along show 